This is a Radio 1 91FM podcast. Somebody that will be able to answer that question is Professor Chris Brickle who joins us now. Morena. Morena. How are we? Very good indeed. Nice and warm outside. I love that. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. That a little bit closer to yep. you, sorry. Um, right, T.O., as well as being the head of uh, gender studies here at Otago, uh, you're also an author and an editor. Yeah. 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 Is recently. Recently an editor. editor. Yeah. Uh, you've edited James Francis Courage's diaries. Um, so I, I guess the first question uh, is, um, who was James Courage, for those who don't know. Okay, so he was a New Zealand writer. He was brought up in Canterbury. He was born in 1903. Mm-hmm. And then he moved to um, London and Oxford as a young man and wrote eight novels, several plays, um, some poetry, and some short stories. So yeah. he was a reasonably, reasonably prolific New Zealander. And he was the um, first gay New Zealander to have a, a novel published in yes. 1959. So yeah. that's a pretty much of a, an achievement. That is a, a, a massive achievement and um, a great step forward, I guess, yeah. in, a, in, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, when you say Canterbury, it was really Canterbury. Very rural, wasn't it? Yeah, Amberley. yeah, very r- rural. So he, he, he was brought up near Amberley, and he spent a lot of time staying with one of his grandmothers at Mount Summers, so mm. in the, in the um, foothills of the Southern Alps, which a lot of his novels are really influenced by that part of Canterbury in particular. Yeah, yeah, like his, his, his earlier works. I think the last three were set in London, but um, the, or in England, but the previous ones were... Yeah, so five of the total, yeah. uh, including the second to last one were about New Zealand. What sort of person was he? He It's a big question. Yeah, it's a big question. He was a really he was a really complicated person, right? So he 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 comes across as quite shy and gangly. He's kind of got a long face and skinny body and skinny legs. So he's a kind of a um yeah he's a he was a, a fairly frail in terms of his health. But he was also incredibly witty. He had quite a camp sense of humour. And he was a really vivid and descriptive writer. So he was someone who lived in his head a lot and really had acute powers of observation of the world around him, which he would uh, describe in in really vivid detail, including Mm. people who he could describe in quite um, acidic kind of detail. (laughs) (laughs) He was openly and outwardly queer, right? Yes. So he he realised that he was attracted to men when he was at high school. And wrote about this a lot in his diaries. So, so this the, the book of diaries uh, takes the whole span of diaries. So he began in 1920 when he was at Christ College in, in Christchurch, and the diaries ended in 1963, the year he died. Mm. And he talks about his sexuality all the way through those diaries, from a young man um, to a, an older man living um, living in London. And in some ways, he struggled with his sexual identity, but he also knew it was a natural thing, right? He did, absolutely. I think that's a really good way of putting it. So there was a there was a real kind of um, polarizing thing. He 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 felt he felt shame, but he also felt pride at the same time, which to us now seems a bit curious, right? We would expect maybe people would be either um, feel proud of themselves or pe- feel shameful, but in fact he felt both. But he 
he did speak very uh, clearly in his diaries about uh, same-sex desire being natural and mm. being something that should be should be respected, even yeah. though he found it difficult living in a difficult society yeah. um, as a more or less openly homosexual man. He was very uh, surprised in 1938. He did a play in London at a little theatre club on relationships between boys in boarding schools in, in the UK, and that was extremely well received yes. by the audiences and the, and the reviewers. And so that gave him a bit of a boost at 1938. That's a fairly early time period to be doing that. So he was quite a pioneer, really. Yeah, they got shut down quite quickly by the censors, though, didn't it? Uh, no, the, the censorship laws are quite complicated in London. So what happened is you could prov- you could put on a play to a, a private club, yeah. but you had to run the gamut of the censors to put it on at the public theatres oh, in yeah. the West End. So he, he put it on at the club. They wanted to transfer it to the Apollo, and it, it wasn't granted a licence. So that was the sort of situation there and it meant that those private theatre clubs played to a, a little boutique bohemian audience yeah, which, yeah. Uh, which he did to full houses and yeah that's amazing it's mm. amazing um, his works are they important works in New Zealand history like literature, literature history uh, Courage is part of that kind of group of New Zealand authors that includes Frank Sargison um, and Eric McCormick and Darcy Creswell and Charles Brash. So he fits in that kind of that kind of group. He, I think, is a, a very much more lively writer than Brash was. Uh, and Sargison and Courage admired one another's works a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, after the earthquake, one of Courage's stories was said to be one of the finest works of New Zealand literature at that time. So he was he was a, a, an important New Zealand author, but he's someone who's been um, overlooked a little bit more than some of the others, and it might have to do with the fact that his private papers were embargoed until 2005, so there's been a bit of secrecy. He's been shrouded in the mist a little bit. Why? Were they embargoed? So his sister, Patricia, one of his sisters, sold them to the Hocken, but she was wary about the sexuality content being made public, I think, and and she claimed to author Peter Wells that Courage wasn't open about his sexuality in his Mm. lifetime, which absolutely wasn't true, but, yeah, she didn't want uh, those papers available too early for some reason. That's upsetting. (laughs) And unfortunate. Um, yeah, yeah, it is, but um, it made 2005 quite exciting. Yeah, yeah. There were, you know, there were these papers in the Hocken that suddenly became available, you know. So, I mean, uh, why did the Hocken uh, take take this collection? Why didn't Canterbury, somewhere in Canterbury, do, the, do, do this? I've wondered this. I assumed that uh, Courage's sister approached the Hocken. Yeah. Uh, why she did that, I'm not quite Most sure. The status, the status, the prestige, that's right, yeah. the prestige of the Hocken, probably. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. Um, I've got to go down there soon, actually, after the show. Oh, uh, um, right, so he ended up going to Oxford. He left Aotearoa and, and, and went to Oxford. Um, how and why did he end up going to Oxford? So he had an uncle who had spent some time in Oxford, so I think there was a, a bit of a, an indirect family connection there. Uh, he read history and literature there, and um, there was a, a real status attached to Oxford. Courage came from a very, very well-off farming family, and mm. so Oxford or Cambridge would have been the universities that you would go to when you went to England, and England was the place you went to, right, yeah, going yeah, back right. home, in inverted commas. Yes. So it was probably a fairly natural kind of fit, and he 
really enjoyed Oxford. I mean, this was a <clears throat> a city full of lots of young people, vibrancy, parties, mm. um, a kind of a real kind of university vibe. So they were happy years for him on the whole. That's great. Um, so how did you, does one go about choosing? Like, I mean, the, you, the diaries were extensive. Yes. Um, there's 400,000 words, as we said before. How does one go about choosing what to put in right. this? So the earlier years are quite straightforward. So I've taken out the uh, work that um, involved things like courage replicating bits of other people's poems and novels and just inserting them in. So all of that came out. There are a few extraneous bits and pieces that broke up the flow, so I actually wanted to keep the narrative flow going. So where that was interrupted, I removed those bits and pieces. Uh, The later diaries, are two of them are... two complete re- uh, reams of A4 paper with tiny writing on either side. Yeah. And that's where most of the extraneous and inverted commas material came from. Those dealt with his struggles with his mental health, yep. largely. Uh, there's amazing material in there, but they are very repetitive. Mm-hmm. And so it was a matter of choosing. I had a wonderful research assistant. Natasha Smilly, who helped me yes, uh, with this. So, yes, so, so, so Tash did a, a lot of work there. Um, and then, yeah, and then I went through and, um, and had another look and, and another cut of, um, of the diaries. But, yeah, there, there's a lot. You can't publish 400,000 in a, in a book. No, no. Uh, it would be a tome that you'd, <laughs> you'd hold the door open with. So, yeah, <laughs> it needed a bit of editing. Uh, there, were, there were a few themes that run through um, his life and mental health. Yes, is a huge one of those. Yeah, it is. It's a huge theme. So, so Courage suffered from depression, particularly through the 1950s and 60s. He had had a series of mental breakdowns er- earlier on in his life, and those had to do partly uh, with overwork. He um, he found writing a real struggle, and one of his novels, which was about um, a woman who married a young woman who married an unsuitable man in Canterbury, and that man then drowned their baby in a river in a fit of religion just mania. That book uh, took a real toll on courage and he actually ended up in a mental hospital for some time for recuperation after that. Uh, Later on in his life he uh, underwent Freudian psychotherapy in in London um, over a number of years and this too of course was a period when um, antidepressants were really in their infancy and so these long, long, long sessions of Freudian therapy were uh, the um, treatment uh, that courage undertook. Yeah, he did at some stages have very heavy sedatives as well. Yes, yeah, so there was um, um, sodium amytol, which was known as the blue bomber, which yeah. was essentially a sedative. Uh, these were all also used on the streets recreationally and were later taken out of circulation. But <laughs> they were much more sedatives than anti um, antidepressants. So there's a little bit of a, a little bit of a kind of therapeutic implicit drug history in here, which yeah. is quite interesting. As soon as I saw the word blue bomber, I knew they were taken recreationally. <laughs> 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 um, okay, so um, back to you working with this. I mean, the op- the opening um, the opening words to the first diary uh, to myself and no other. Yes. Yeah. So these di- as all diaries are, are meant for oneself. Yeah, yes. So yes. how did you feel doing doing this work? I took my cue on this from something later on in one of the diaries where Courage says, oh, well, I suppose my diaries ought to be destroyed because they are 
you know, a, a bit incriminating, overly personal, whatever. And then he said, but actually that's kind of, you know, that feels wrong too. And so later on in his life, there was a sense that he knew that there was something important about them, mm-hmm. even though he had a feeling too that maybe there was something disreputable about them. And so I took I took from that that he, you know, that he may have been quite keen. And I also liaised with Virginia um Grape, who now who's his niece, and she said, "Oh yes, I think it, yeah, it would be really good to um, to publish him." So there's a bit of family consultation went on oh, as well, nice. and we we felt that the importance of them meant that um, it was good to do them. And of course, he had signalled that that perhaps that would be you know that he he knew or realised the historical importance of them. Yeah, and they would eventually. Um, so mm. um, how, I mean, how were they kept? Like, um, were they sent back in his possessions? Because I know his ashes were sent back here. Yes, yes. Um, to to um, Waipara yes. River, they were scattered at the the heads of Waipara River, not the heads, the, the mouth or something. Um, so was everything? Were they, were they bundled in with his belongings and sent back to New Zealand as well? Or? I've been wondering this for two years. Yeah, I've been <laughs> asking myself the same question: How yeah, did they? Yeah. Actually, get sent back, and I'm not, I'm not sure. Com- and and complete as well. And right? complete. So he must have he he moved through a number of flats in London. He must have kept hold of them the whole time. Mm. And Patricia, his sister, I think was his executor, yeah. and so she would have been overseeing emptying out the flat after he died, uh, reasonably suddenly of a heart attack in 1963. Yes. She lived in London too, so I'm assuming that she she must have had a, a negotiation with the Hocken and then. Um, packaged them up and sent them back. Okay, so how long, how long have they been in the Hawkins' position? Since since uh, not long after his death, so since the early 1960s. So they've been there for some time without being able to be looked at. So for Patricia and for the the heads of the Hawkins at the time, yeah, that's um, you know it's amazing, really. Like you know, for her to see the importance of it, yes, and also for the Hawkins to see, see the importance of, of of these as well. So so soon to his so close after his death yes. that they would have some historical importance going forward or, or public interest at least uh, is great. Yes, it is, and I mean the Hocken, of course, has Charles Brash's papers too, and yeah. so there's a sense of those well-known literary figures being something you you know people you would collect material from. So yeah. I, I can see how they would um, you know they would have been quite keen on those. But it's a real I mean well the Hocken's full of all sorts of treasures, right? Yes, yeah, right. <laughs> it's a treasure a treasure house really, and I mean these are um, yeah these are among their kind of literary literary papers. So so yeah. The diaries. There's a, a smallish set of photos, and I've published all, pretty yeah, much all of them the in, in the book because he he really hated having his photo taken, which is a terrible shame because he's kind of curiously photogenic. I mean, how yeah, would you describe totally. him in those images? Well, I said to you earlier, he was very baby face. He looks like he's got incredible skin. I think he must have had a really good uh, skin regime. But he lo- <laughs> he looks really confident mm. in, in in the photographs. He's not he's not shying away. He doesn't mm. look coy or anything like that. Mm. Um, yeah, but I think he's quite photogenic. It's a real pity, isn't it, that, that people didn't manage to persuade him. Particularly in his later life, there are almost no photos from that period. Yeah. There's one on the back of a book. Uh, cover which we've published, but but uh, that's one of the the relative few. He seemed to be more persuadable in his youth, it would seem. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I wonder back in the youth too how often you know cameras came out. I think in the 1920s, um, cameras were hugely popular, particularly among yeah. young people. You know, it was a new technology. 
um, they were quite excited to snap photos and, and uh, there's a kind of, uh, when you look at archives there's a real boom in photography in the 1920s and 30s, quite yeah. a popular hobby I think. Nice, nice um, so um, I mean essentially I mean, I've got to ask the question, why do you think people should read this? I think courage is really important because not uh, not only because he's an important New Zealand literary figure, but because he really is a gay pioneer. Yeah, I think he opened the way for many of the rest of us to write about gay issues, uh, both in terms of fiction and non-fiction. So he's sort of like a um, an ancestor, really, of yeah. of um, the modern gay movement and particularly the modern literary gay movement. A sort of a a linchpin, really. Uh, so he's. I think he's. Yeah, I mean. Pioneer is a word I would use. I think totally. he's a really important figure on multiple fronts. But he also writes about things um, that people don't always write about. There's not an awful lot on really intimate experiences of mental illness among New Zealand writers, for instance. He also writes in a very lively way about the Blitz in London. Yes, yes, yes. Where he uh, lived through the war and he was actually in charge of turning off the lifts during an air raid. So he spent much of his time going up and down and in the air raid shelters. And there's a really kind of intimate portrayal of what it was like to be locked down, essentially, for Yes. Quite a period. I think that's perhaps a little bit resurgent, you know. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I assume a lot of people probably wrote around the, the London lockdowns. I'm not quite sure, but um, you know, I wonder if um, they'd be interested in those parts of the diaries back in London. I think so. I would think so. I have talked to one um, reviewer and literary person who said he feels that he's read a lot of wartime diaries and feels that Courage's diarising of that period is among the best he has read. So they're actually really um, particularly vivid and well constructed and uh, convincing and and passionate and scary and narratives that give you the sense of being under siege for that long quite strongly I think. It's quite compelling writing. Yeah, amazing amazing. Um, almost making uh, non-fiction sound fictional. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and interestingly, I mean, he, he really struggled with his novels, which are overwritten sometimes in places, but the diaries aren't. That's one go at writing yeah. about a situation uh, with no revisions, and he excelled at doing that, in fact. that, that he, he really could get a very lively account uh, down very, very uh, quickly and in a way that's not overly formal at all, but very mm. readable, I think. Yeah, fantastic. All right, so um, the book published by the Otago University Press, so it's very local. Very local, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and you can pick that up at all good bookshops. Yep, all good bookshops, especially our own UBS. That's course. right, that's right. And it's probably av- it will be available online as well, but just go down across the road. UBS absolutely you know, yeah. if, UBS but if you are listening anywhere else in the world because we are streaming around the world um, you can pick up the James Courage Diaries um, online online um, I mean the big online the big online sellers have it so it's, yeah. it's not go to one of the small online sellers and the, some of the small <laughs> online sellers do yeah, yeah, as well yeah, 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 um, yeah. particularly in the UK there's a really good range of places where yeah. you can get hold of it we don't need to spend old mate send ba- old mate back into space um, he's got enough money uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey Chris, always a pleasure. Wonderful to one. have you on. Wonderful work um, editing um, these words uh, into this. And I'm sure you could have, like, you know, you could have just put them all in 
and left them there and even yeah. where the things repeated and everything like that um, but um, I think we get a, a real sense of, of who James was and, and you're right to say an incredible pioneer um, a very brave brave man um, very tormented as many artists are, uh, Quite, but very yeah. interesting. And um, you know, last the la- you know, I don't really want to say about the last name, but it makes sense. Yes, it totally does. It totally it does. does. Yeah, it totally does. Hey, Chris, thank you so much once again, Professor Chris Brickle. Um, the book James Courage Diaries is out now. Here, thanks for listening to Radio One ninety one FM podcast. All of our content lives online at r1.co.nz. 